welcome to the Real Estate Matters podcast. I'm Stuart Norton with the University of Alabama, and today's guest is Russ Richardson, a good friend of mine, and uh, also the owner of Richardson Appraisal here in Tuscaloosa. Uh, welcome to the show, Russ. Thanks, Stuart, for having me. I'm looking forward to uh, a nice chat today. Yeah, yeah, same here. And so, uh, and so, just tell us a little bit about your background in uh, appraisal and how you got into the industry. Sure. Well, like most uh, appraisers, my father is an appraiser. Um, that's how most of us find our way into the business. My dad is actually still actively practicing. He's been doing it for 56 years now. Okay. Um, wow. So I um, kind of followed in his footsteps and I grew up in rural Northwest Alabama in Winston County and trained with him for a year in that rural area and uh, decided to move down here uh, and uh, enjoy a little bit more active and busier market than what we had in the rural areas. And I've been doing it for 16 years now. All right. Well, great to hear. And, uh, and so what kind of appraisal did your dad specialize in and what do you specialize in? My specialty is more on the single family side. Uh, during the 2008 to 10, we saw a, a increase in student housing, the new duplexes and um, we call them garden apartments. I'm sure you're familiar with what we're talking about. So i Started doing the one of the first ones of those and found a niche there. Um, well, those have mostly been developed now, so I'm back to mostly single-family residential, a lot of new construction. Um, I do a, quite a bit of land appraisals as well, whether it be you know single-family developments, hunting tracks, recreational tracks, and some timberland as well. Okay, yeah, well, that's great to hear. And so, uh, yeah, so being an appraiser, you know, doing most of your work uh, in the residential uh, space, you know, you, I would, you have a pretty good uh, idea of the, you know, state of the market. And so let's just talk about, you know, current market conditions uh, and what might lie ahead as we're kind of in an interesting time right now. I would agree that we are in an interesting time with the rate increases that we're seeing. Uh, right now, we're still very active. Uh, my colleagues and I are all very, very busy at the moment. People... Um, I think maybe getting a bit antsy about the rates going up and finally deciding to make a decision to refinance or buy if they can. As, as, as you well know, inventory is still very low. People still like to move. So we've seen incredible increases in the last two years of values, which I feel will continue, but at a much slower pace. Um, and I think that's the point of, you know, the Fed raising the interest rate is to kind of dampen this rapidly increasing value situation that we've been in. Yeah. Cool the market off somewhat. Um, yeah, because price gains, I mean, they've, uh, of course we, you know, follow those a good bit here at the center. And I also saw, you know, like, uh, there was core logic. It kind of runs behind a little bit, but that was released today showing, uh, and that's a repeat sale index, you know, basically showing a uh, 20% gains from one year ago nationwide. Uh, and, home values. And so, yeah, that's, uh, it's definitely not keeping pace with income growth and, you know, just has some people, you know, has a lot of people, you know, thinking along terms of, uh, you know, housing affordability, you know, how much longer can prices continue to rise like they have. Yeah. And that's a, a the core logic study is a little bit different than Fannie Mae, but they're, they've all, they've all trended in, in that same general area of the 20%. And of course that's way outpacing income, uh, so it's, I've been through um, some of the worst times, you know, I started here in Tuscaloosa in 2005 and 
you well know what happened a few years later. Yeah, I was going to say things were pretty hot in 05, I would imagine. 05, they were, absolutely. And then 07 and 08, the phones quit ringing. Um, <laughs> but I don't by any means think that we're headed in that direction. I think that people's, you know, I think that real estate in general will still increase just at a much slower pace. Yeah, especially I agree with you in terms of, uh, you know, the effects, you know, what, what are, that's kind of what's on everybody's mind, you know, what effects will rising rates have, you know, you'd think it's got to slow down sales activity to some degree, uh, just because, you know, buyers purchasing power has been, you know, been cut into pretty significantly. And, you know, and maybe I'm, I'm sure that I'm sure the very low rate environment we were in the last two years, you would think that had to play a significant role in driving prices upwards because people's purchasing power was much higher. Yeah, there's, no, there's yeah. no way you can argue that, um, and it's going to affect the, the the higher rates will in, in, impact a different segment of the market than it will um, uh, second home buyers or yeah. or cash buyers. But uh, it, you know, first time home buyers are really the ones that have been struggling in the last couple of years due to the lack of demand, and uh, it, hopefully these <clears throat> increasing interest rates um, won't hurt them even even more. Right, and yeah, and it's there's probably you know. We've, we've touched on, you know, the unsustainable price gains, but maybe these rising rates, you know, will cool those off. You know, I'm, I'm expecting, you know, well, just first, uh, you know, our March sales report was out recently and it showed a 13% growth in the median sales price from a year ago. That was down from like the 15 to 17% range earlier in the year. So it's moderating a little bit. Uh, but I'm thinking price growth will get down to like the 8 to 10% range uh, going forward. Uh, but a lot of it, of course, you know, you know, it's kind of dependent upon inventory, what's available for sale. Yeah. That, you know, that takes us to the, uh, the supply chain issues and the material costs that builders are having, uh, having to deal with, um, until that gets sorted out, it's still going to be a bit of a circus out there. Um, indeed. Yeah. It's, uh, Lot, so many different factors, you know, going into play, but, uh, but kind of getting back to the, uh, back to appraisal a little bit. Um, and so tell us, uh, you mentioned Fannie Mae earlier, but just, uh, tell us a little bit about, uh, there's a Fannie Mae appraisal form. Uh, so tell, tell us a little bit about that and how it's changed. Yeah, sure. The standard, um, you know, your single family home that, uh, going to be a secondary market loan is filled out on the Fannie Mae 1004. Um, and that's form has been around for a long time. So, they're going to a new system, or excuse me, it's rumored. They have not made an official announcement. Trends are that they're going to a new system. And I, just to simplify it, it's kind of like TurboTax for filling out an appraisal. So it's not necessarily a new form as it is a cloud-based system where as appraisers, we will go in, input data, and then the, it will auto-generate the next pertinent question to answer as we go along. Okay. The very exciting changes. Um, I don't know that most appraisers like change, but I think there's some opportunities with this new form. And it's yet to be announced, but it's upgrading or updating <laughs> what is right now a pretty antiquated system. Well, that, uh, yeah, that makes sense. Uh, you know, because change affects every aspect of life, you would think. But I guess it's uh, sort of, you know, not surprising that appraisal, you know, appraisers, they have their customs and their ways, you know, and why change it if it's working, right? Maybe there's that mentality out there, but at the same time, you know, why not take advantage of some of this new technology out there? Absolutely. And, you know, a lot of it is that we don't want to have to learn any new tricks, but right. it, uh, we have, you have to continue to grow to succeed and follow, 
follow the new changes. I mean, it, eventually it will make it easier for us if we once we learn it, learn how to optimize it. I think it's going to be a benefit to, to all market participants. Actually, mainly going to enable the reader, the consumer of the appraiser appraisal report, to better understand it. Gotcha. Okay. That makes sense. Uh, and so talking, you know, appraisal, of course, square footage is, you know, is a big uh, component uh, of value. And, you know, that's something that, you know, the consumer, you know, everybody, that's just a metric that, you know, people want to know and need to know. So tell us a little bit more about square footage, how it's reported. Uh, and then also ANSI, how does that, what role does that play? Yeah. So ANSI is what is the acronym, American National Standards Institute. Fannie Mae is just, um, announced, well, starting April 1st, uh, that they will be requiring all appraisers that submit a repra- an appraisal report to ANSI, uh, excuse me, to Fannie Mae to go by the ANSI standards guidelines in reporting square footage. Most appraisers have already been doing that, but now uh, Fannie Mae's, you know, trying to get the realtors involved with doing that as well. Realtors don't have a very good source for square footage. Uh, the tax records were not, the, the, the excuse me, the uh, tax assessment records were never meant to accurately describe the square footage. They don't go into the house and they don't measure it, but that's really all that realtors have access to. So without an old appraisal or, you know, them measuring the house themselves, there's no way for them to actually know. So and, uh, Fannie Mae and Ansi are getting together to try to get a better understanding of, and reporting procedure for the square footage. Okay. Uh, interesting. And yeah, it just uh, makes me think of, uh, you know, you mentioned the tax records, you know, maybe not always being accurate, not intended to be accurate, but it makes me think of an anecdote. Uh, we go down to the Lake Martin area, but our neighbors uh, sold their place by owner, uh, you know, and just had it listed, you know, got it online somewhere, but the old square foot, it, it was listed as 1600 square feet, which it was back before the basement was finished out. <laughs> and, uh, and I didn't know this until I talked to the new owner and he said he almost didn't go by and look at it. Uh, but it turns out the basement was finished and the real square footage was actually like, you know, 3000 or so. Uh, but it's definitely one of those things you want to get right. Uh, if you know, yeah, and you know, I'll, I'll take it. And I'm not sure where they got that original 1600 from, but just interesting. Yes, and that, you know that leads to another good point about reporting. When we say square footage, what we should actually be saying is GLA or gross livable area. <clears throat> and Fannie Mae has always dictated that those two are separated between above grade livable area and below grade livable area. So a basement, a finished basement, would be below grade livable area, um, and that's that's a distinction that's lost on a lot of market participants. You mentioned Lake Martin. Those two might be valued, the above grade and below grade area might be valued very, uh, very similarly in that market. But in a different market, say a non-lakefront home, mm-hmm. basement will be valued at a different level than the above grade area. So that's why the Fannie Mae requires us to separate those two out. Interesting. Um, and so generally, what's the value difference between something that's below grade level and above grade level? If you could, I mean, is there a way, to, is there a general rule of thumb or is it? Case to case. It is certainly case to case and it's market derived. We just have to extrapolate that out. But if you look at a lake home with an open sunshine basement, the market's going to view that pretty much the same as they would the above grade area. So there might not be any difference at all. 
Gotcha. If you take an older home in a non-lake front neighborhood that has a, you know, a pretty well enclosed basement and it's, you know, kind of damp and stuff, they're not going to treat that the same as they would, yeah. you know, the above grade area. So that's how you have to make those distinctions. Yeah. And it makes me think of, a you know, basements that are well below grade that might have like, say the windows or like, you know, almost near the ceiling, if you know what I'm talking about, or you have the cutouts for the windows. Uh, But yeah, I could definitely see how that would not be uh, how the, you know, how that would impact value. Um, And so what are the different, uh, what are the different sources when you're uh, of square footage calculations? Well, I mean, we simply measure the homes Um, that there's, there's really no other source other than us going out and um, we call it pulling a tape, but most of us use lasers now. You okay. just simply measure the home based on the ANSI guidelines. Okay. I yeah. mean, if you'd like me to get into some depth about that, I, I'll, I'll try to keep it entertaining as I can. But uh, so on a single family, um, let's just say a garden home, you measure exterior dimensions and then you take out your garage area, your storage area, if you have one of those. Um, and then that's your GLA, your above grade gross livable area, exterior to exterior. Second floor, it's done the same way. Uh, stairways count uh, on both levels that they serve. Okay. Then, of course, if it's a basement home, that's also done with the exterior measurements. And, you know, you have to, it has to be fully finished if it's going to be considered, you know, uh, GLA for the basement area meaning finished, but heated and cooled with ANSI actually has come out with a critique about the floor coverings because the new, uh, a new trend anyway, is stamped or sealed concrete flooring. Okay. You see yeah. that a lot in basements. And now that, the, you know, now they consider that as a floor covering where in the past there was a little bit of gray area there. Yeah. Because that can be finished to a point where it's a, a pretty attractive flooring option. It's not just bare concrete. Uh, yes. And that, you know, that actually can, um, get fairly expensive as well, depending oh, on yeah. the way you want to do it. Yeah. I see a lot of that now in the um, barn dominium style construction. Right. It's very popular in those. Yeah. And I've even seen where they, uh, they, you know, you can put a little bit of stain in there to kind of mimic, you know, tile to some degree, but just to give it kind of a unique look. And also I've even seen where they've scored some lines into it to resemble tile. Uh, Absolutely. I've seen some of the most intricate, design patterns that it's still bare concrete, but it's stained and sealed and it's absolutely gorgeous. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Really good livable option. Um, all right. Well, uh, well kind of shifting towards a, a different topic, uh, you know, of course the pandemic, hopefully it's waning here, you know, knock on wood, it seems like we're not going to focus on, uh, the virus as much, but instead, <laughs> you know, the impact it's had to residential real estate. It's been a unique trend to watch and it's been, you know, as unfortunate as COVID has been on all those that have been impacted, it has shifted buyers, um, not necessarily buyers, homeowners desires for their house. Yep. More people working remotely. You're starting to see home offices become much more desirable. Uh, amenities, outdoor amenities, the pool industry, I think went up like 200% over the last two years of what I've been told people wow. installing pools. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's, it's made a major impact on what used to be considered uh, an attractive nuisance. Now it's just attractive. Okay. And speak, uh, speaking of the pool, that is right. Yes. Yes. 
uh, yeah, because all the maintenance that goes into maintaining it and, uh, or just, you know, just opening. And I, I remember, you know, my granddad, actually, he was an appraiser as well, residential guy out working mostly in Bessemer. But, but I remember him talking, you know, the, the work going into it's the pool. He's going to open the pool this year. And then eventually he was like, yeah, I'm not going to deal with that anymore. <laughs> yeah. It, we used to, you know, I would, before the pandemic, pre-pandemic, if you had a home that was improved with a pool, the market was showing that, you know, it, it might increase the value 10 to $15,000. Well, you know, a pools still cost 45, $50,000 on a basic level. Okay. Now we're seeing where you're, the market is almost willing to pay full cost for a home with a pool. Okay. Interesting. Uh, and kind of getting back to, you know, outdoor living space, you know, because, um, that's one trend that, you know, made sense to me, but you know, the pandemic, you know, the one shifting consumer preference and it's consumers have always liked, you know, to have, you know, outdoor living space, uh, in their home, but maybe it was more important, you know, in the last couple of years. And of course that's not, calculated into square footage, but it does impact value. You want to expand on that a little bit? Absolutely. Everything impacts value. Um, obviously, location is the main factor. Square footage is just a simple component that's easily talked about amongst market participants. But um, amenities, car storage, two-car garage is worth you know around ten to $15,000 less than a three-car garage and, and in our little hyper-local market here. Um, so, you know, those things, everything impacts value about the, the, all aspects of the property have an impact on the value. Outdoor living spaces are very desirable. You have to factor that in. Those are also measured as well, just broken down in a different line than the gross livable area. Indeed. Uh, any other major changes you've seen just over the last couple of years? Well, other than the skyrocketing values and the very, very low inventory that doesn't seem to ever want to catch up. No. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, with the low inventory situation, you know, it, and it kind of makes sense, you know, because demand has essentially been in overdrive since about June of 2020, you know, just looking at the sales data and that's starting to cool off a little bit. Uh, you know, we saw a, a slight decrease uh, in sales, you know, statewide level in March. Uh, but that was really before, you know, that's that March data. A lot of those closings were happening in January and February before rates really went up. And so, uh, but anyway, low in, you know, it, I think it's going to be quite some time before we see, you know, inventory get back to what we might describe as normal, you know? Yes, I, I agree. It is, it is so historically low now it, and given the supply chain issues, it will take, in my opinion, we're still probably another year before we even get close to what we would consider normal, which is what a three month, supply is that yeah three to four months you know it's debatable Uh, we used to say six months of supply was a a balanced market but it's going to be i don't know i mean we're currently looking at about one month of supply uh you know Mm -hmm. statewide Mm -hmm. um i think the tuscaloosa area had a little bit more than that uh but yeah but i would say you know equilibrium the new i I would think three to four months would be relatively balanced uh, but we're still a good ways away from that Yes, I don't see us catching up anytime soon, unfortunately. Indeed, yeah, I would agree with you there. Uh, and so, and so, obviously, you know, real estate very uh, a lot of seasonality with real estate. Um, and so, to what degree would you say the seasonality of real estate's been disrupted over the last year and a half, two years? Yeah, well, historically, you, you're correct with seasonality. Um, 
up until the last two or three years ago, we had our peak season, which is obviously spring. And we would, you know, we'd see another uh, peak in activity in the fall. And it would be very slow at the very end of summer before school started. And then, and then during the holiday season, December and January was also very slow. The pandemic changed that. There is, it's, there is no season anymore. It's just all the same. <laughs> it feels like activity for us as appraisers has just been one basic flat line of activity. Yeah. Or post pandemic. Mm hmm. Well, uh, well, it sounds good. You know, I mean, that's uh, especially for the appraisal industry. And we'll talk about that a little bit later about the need uh, for. Yeah, we, we've, we've been blessed that there's no there's no uh, doubt about that with the level of uh, the, the demand for us now and, and the jobs out there. It, um, I, I see it getting a little bit back to the historical trends in a year and a half or so from now where you start to see those decreases in activity during the months that people are moving their kids to school or getting ready for Christmas and things like that. Right. Yeah. And January usually being, you know, January and February, generally speaking, kind of being the slower uh, in terms of just sales activity. You know? Yeah. How's, I mean, you know, basically speaking, houses are not as pretty in the wintertime. Yeah. Landscape's not blooming. And so, you you know, you, you used to see a slowdown, but with the lack of inventory, people that were wanting to move, as soon as they saw something hit the market, they had to act then or they knew that they were going to miss out on it. Indeed. Uh, and so uh, another trend, um, a lot of people have decided to uh, to renovate instead of moving, you know, maybe taking out a home equity line of credit. Yeah, absolutely. That goes back to that goes back, um, you know, to the trends that buy or the uh, amenities that buyers have decided that they homeowners have decided that they want post-pandemic pools, uh, outdoor living areas, a home office. If they can't find another house that has all of those amenities that they're looking for, they take advantage of the increase in values and take out a home equity line to do the renovations to make their house what they want it to be instead of finding something to replace it. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I've noticed a lot of that uh, in my neighborhood, especially with um and not just you know home projects to add space but also improving the outdoor space you know maybe just landscaping project a pool as you mentioned yeah absolutely just things to make it appealing i mean your neighborhood you know there's not a lot of room to add space and maybe they don't need more space but maybe they want to reconfigure the space that they have or yeah. expand to a you know three seasonal type room on the outside yeah and home offices obviously you know that's uh I would, uh, it's gotta be in, in, in another thing. I mean, valuing, uh, how do you, and if we get kind of into the, uh, intangibles a little bit, but how do you value certain, you know, how do you value certain amenities like a home office, say, for example? Well, ultimately we would like to find another home that's very similar that has a home office that's sold recently. Yeah. That always, that's, that can't always happen. Obviously it's, it's very tricky to do that, but uh, you have, you know, how will the market react to it? We just have to take that into consideration. And that really is the end all be all is how will the market react? And do we have any sales that can prove that whether it be in, you know, same neighborhood or not, but if it's two houses that are similar, let's look and see if we can find something that has this and see what someone was willing to pay over uh, a house that didn't have that for that certain amenity. Gotcha. Um, 
And so another trend, you know, kind of back to the trends. Uh, and so another big trend, you know, during, um, especially over the last year and a half, you know, bidding wars, uh, especially as, you know, inventory is so low, yet we still have demand elevated. Uh, are bidding wars starting to cool off a little bit? Yes, I'm seeing them slow down a little bit. The days on the market are starting to extend a little bit to where, it, you, you know, it was used to be just a, a single day or so on the market. And you'd have four or five offers. It, 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 again, real estate is hopper local, but overall in Tuscaloosa County, I am starting to see that decline. And that's most likely due to the increasing interest rates. And I, I, you know, I think it's probably a good thing that they slow down a little bit because as appraisers, what we see when they start these bidding wars is a lot of people are overpaying for homes that as appraisers, we're historians. So we can't look to the future but they're paying more from than the comparable sales in the neighborhood are showing that the house is worth as that, as of that date. Yeah. Uh, well, that makes sense. And, uh, and again, that's gotta be challenging. I mean, hats off to you guys in the appraisal field, because again, I like how you mentioned that as historians, you know, you're looking for comparable sales, but when values are rising like they are, or sales prices, at least it, it presents a unique challenge for you guys. It does. And the main way that we tackle that, are what we call time adjustments. So we will look historically, you know, the last six, seven, eight months and see how quickly home values are increasing per month. And then we'll take that as a percentage of the uh, comparable sales price per month and, and add that adjustment to reflect as best we can current market conditions. Okay. Yeah. Well, that makes sense. Uh, and also now that we're, you know, just kind of going a little deeper on value. Uh, so what are the different approaches to calculating uh, a home's value? Yeah. So the three, there's three approaches, three recognized approaches to value, the sales comparison approach, the cost approach and the income approach In single family homes. Uh, we often, we always use the uh, sales comparison approach, which is when you take uh, your subject property, the one that you're appraising and you reach out and find, sales that are similar, recent, um, that would appeal to the same type buyer. And then you make adjustments as you, as you deem necessary to determine opinion, an opinion of value. Now, the cost approach is really um, most effective in new construction mm -hmm. if you have current data. That's given secondary consideration. And then the income approach, that's used uh, not as often, depends on where the property is located. So uh, if you have a neighborhood or say let's a house on campus, which we know is that's a lot of rentals there. Yeah. Yeah. So it, when the, the market participants are mainly concerned about their returns, that's when the income approach is uh, the best indicator of value. Gotcha. Yeah. For your investment properties. Sure. And oftentimes we'll develop all three approaches and then give the ones that we deem the most appropriate higher weight. Okay. Yeah. And just, so what are just a, a couple of examples when you would use uh, one method versus another? Well, if I have um, a home that's 80 years old, I'm not going to develop the cost approach because the difficulties in figuring out the depreciation of a home that old make the cost approach not reliable. Um, so then I would use the sales approach and most likely that would be the only approach I would use in that case. Uh, now, if I had a brand new construction, 
I would certainly develop a cost approach. Obviously, I would develop the sales approach and see how those two match up. I am not as comfortable giving more weight to the cost approach because the volatility in housing cost, not price, but cost, Yeah, you know, the material cost, it's very volatile. So I always like to have both of those in the new construction to add support, but ultimately it's really going to fall down to what somebody's willing to pay, not what it costs to build. And so therefore right. the sales the sales comparison approach is going to be given more consideration. Yeah. Cause as you mentioned, you know, uh, with labor prices up, I mean, you know, you name it in building materials, basically the price is up significantly and is going to fluctuate like you mentioned. Uh, but yeah, but the cost to reproduce, you know, say a house that's even, you know, the cost, you know, looking at the cost approach, you know, obviously that's going to be a very large number. Uh, and so might not be the best. Uh, and oftentimes recently the cost approach and builders estimates have been higher than what recent sales are showing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that makes sense, especially as their input costs are up as well. Mm -hmm. Well, uh, and also just kind of on a, a side note, you know, we've had uh, other appraisers uh, on the uh, on the show here. And so if you're interested, you know, in appraisal, uh, especially appraisal as a career, uh, also check out Roger Ball's episode recently. And, uh, and Russ, I think this is a good uh, addition uh, to what um, to that. And I like uh, it's just interesting. You know, I find appraisal very interesting. Uh, maybe it's just because my granddad worked in the industry and this was a long time ago. I remember he had the wheel. <laughs> we played a lot of golf, but he would, every time we would get our golf clubs out of the trunk, I think he had two or three of them in there, but it was one of the, you know, the wheel with the handle that he would use to I guess measure the exterior dimension. Absolutely. Always have to have the backups. That's yeah. right. We've, we've come a long way from the wheel. Now most of us are using lasers and there's uh, there's even some more hybrid or not hybrid models out there, but there's new technology every day that makes measuring a home easier. Good to hear. Uh, and so, um, and so back to, we're kind of on, on a, a new topic here with a, or not, or an extension of what we were just talking about, but, uh, but the hybrid model of appraisal. So what does that involve? Well, when the pandemic started, a lot of homeowners were very reluctant to allow someone in their home, which is understandable. Um, and so the government sponsored entities decided that it might be okay for appraisers to do what is considered a desktop appraisal where we don't actually view the home ourselves. Mm -hmm. um, exterior only appraisal might be another word for it. The um, in our market locally, I, it did not have that big of an impact, but nationally nationwide that's still around. And now they are coming up with a solution to bring in um, an inspector or an agent or someone that's not a licensed appraiser to go out, do the inspection process, take the pictures, measure the home, give that data to the appraiser and let the appraiser turn that into an opinion of value. It's interesting to see, I there's a lot of uncertainty around that. If the appraisers decide not to do that, then there won't be any need to worry about it in the future. I personally feel that I need to put my feet in the floor of the house that I'm appraising to be able to provide a reliable opinion of value. Yeah, indeed. Cause you know, obviously the condition of the property, you know, is there, you know, is there are there major deferred maintenance issues? You know, the condition of the property can obviously have a huge impact. And if you're sending people that are not trained to do the inspection, 
they might not know what to look for. Yeah. Yeah. Especially as, you know, you know, easy cosmetic cover-ups, you know, to a major issue. I'm sure you see that a good bit. Sure. And you know, you can't smell certain things via a picture. Yeah. Yeah. And sometimes pet odors can have an impact if it's going to be a substantial cost to get rid of that, then, you know, how are you going to pick up on that from a picture? Exactly. And, uh, and I know that was another trend. A lot of people purchasing properties, uh, sight unseen, maybe if they were relocating to a new area. Um, actually I was, uh, at the dentist, uh, and this was like right during the middle of the pandemic, probably like June, 2020, but, uh, the hygienist had, uh, just moved to town and they bought uh, new construction. I guess they felt a little better about it being new construction, but they bought new construction sight unseen. And, um, and I'd read about that as a, you know, as more and more people doing that. And again, with new construction, it makes a little bit more sense, but yeah, but I'm with you there. I mean, if you don't, uh, if you don't know that's how that living room smells, then. <laughs> yeah, this, well, the sight unseen was probably necessary for certain people during the, uh, when the, we were at the absolute peak of the market where sure. things were getting purchased before you could even schedule a showing. Yeah. So had to act um, fast. It's. I hope that. Uh, hope that the your hygienist enjoyed their new house. But uh, um, sounds like they did. I think they were very happy with it. Um, they were actually. Uh, uh, she said it. The pictures were great, but once they walked in the house, it was even better. Oh, that's that's awesome. Yeah, that's, I mean that's what it's all about. You know, uh, we're we're number crunchers and we, we're data analysts and researchers, but at the end of the day, we. I like to go to sleep at night knowing that maybe I help somebody find their dream house. That's a, that's a good point. And another thing about, uh, you know, real estate that, uh, you know, of course there's the investment side of real estate, but I mean, but we're talking about, you know, a home, you know, it's where you're going to you know, spend time with your family. And, uh, and my mom makes this point a lot cause she's actually, she's a residential sales agent up in the Birmingham area. Mm-hmm. But, um, but you might, and, and yeah, you might, you know, ideally you'd like to make a little bit of money on your house and given it enough time, you're pretty much generally speaking, going to do that. You know, of course you have your transaction costs. It can easily add up. Well, historically speaking, real estate's a pretty solid investment. Yeah, especially during times of inflation, you know, as we're in yeah. right now. It's a good hedge. Indeed. Uh, but yeah, but the point she was just making is that, you know, if you if you don't make as much money on your house as you thought you would, well, I mean, you got to live there for however many years, you know? I mean, it's uh, so many other, you know, so many other ways to measure the the value that it has other than just, you know, the there's a lot of intrinsic value to, to, to owning your own home. There's no yeah, question about it. That's a good way. Of, that was the word I was looking for there. Uh, so kind of shifting back to market conditions. Uh, so going forward, do you have any concerns about the market? Well, um, I, honestly, I don't think I'll be surprised no matter what happens. Um, I don't have any major concerns. I think we're okay. I certainly do not see us having a bubble burst or a big, big crash in the real estate market. Um, I, I am concerned for first time home buyers. I think these increasing rates, we have a lot of investors buying up, um, what would typically fall in the first time home buyers category, mm-hmm. buying it up as rental homes. So their inventory is going to be even lower or less options for them. Other than that, I think it's going to be pretty stable going forward for the next few years. If nothing major changes, obviously, but, uh, I, yeah, I think we're in a good shape. I think market cooling down is healthy. Uh, the 20% increases that we've been seeing, that's not sustainable, I don't believe. 
So I think we're I think we're going to be fine. If you've got a house out there and you're worried about it, or if you're worried about buying a house now, it's not a bad time to buy a house. That's a good point. I, I generally speaking, I you know agree with you there. Um, yeah, it'll be interesting to see where rates kind of settle. You know, uh, it, it seems like they're going to keep going up a little bit. Of course, there's generally like you know a slight taper upwards. There's re- rarely you know a big jolt uh, in terms of rate uh, rate hikes. Uh, but you know, given the rate projections, you know, above 5% now, you know, I wouldn't be surprised to see sales cool off about five to 10%. That's in Alabama, um, you know, and home prices growing, but at much, you know, much more reasonable rates, you know, reasonable is a great way to put that. I think that's the intent of the fed by increasing these rates. Right. Yeah. And one, and we're definitely, it seems like inflation is here. I mean, you see it in a lot of things. Sure. Uh, And, um, but, you know, it's just, it'd be hard. I just don't see declining home prices, especially, you know, considering market conditions, the low inventory, and also during a time of inflation. You know, one reason your house or one reason houses are worth more is because the money is worth less. <laughs> That's a great way to put it. <laughs> I like that. Um, yeah, you're, you're correct. There's, um, I don't, I don't think you're going to be able to go out and buy a new house for less money than you could three months ago. That's a, uh, yeah, that's a good point. I don't, I mean, people that are waiting for the, you know, the values to go down to buy a house, I, I, I think they might've missed the bubble. I think that, uh, yeah, go ahead and if you're in the market and you can find what you need, I think now would be the time to do it before the rates go up even further. Cause I think that I'm pretty sure that values will continue to increase at a steady rate. Uh, yeah, I agree. And that's, um, uh, yeah. And, when it comes to the buyer side, I mean, a lot of it's just, uh, you just have to kind of take what the market gives you, you know, it takes some patience for that, you know, for that right house to pop up at the right time. Um, but, uh, but Russ, I really, uh, I really appreciate you, uh, joining us on the show today. Uh, a lot of interesting insights, uh, especially, you know, market conditions. And I appreciate all you had to say about the, uh, appraisal industry and your work there. Uh, but any final thoughts as we wrap it up here? Well, Stuart, I appreciate all you guys uh, and all the work that you do at the uh, Alabama Center for Real Estate. We oftentimes use the reports that you put out and uh, it's very, very good reports we like. Um, this is my first podcast and you can tell I've not done a great job with it, but I certainly have had a good time. Hey, I've had a, this has been great. I thought, uh, I thought you had many great talking points and hopefully we can do it again. Yeah, absolutely, my friend. All right. And uh, I'll see you on the golf course, Russ. Yes, sir. All right. Take care. You too. Bye-bye. This has been the Real Estate Matters Podcast produced by the Alabama Center for Real Estate. Listen on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, TuneIn, Spotify, Podbean, or just ask Alexa to play the Real Estate Matters Podcast.